We are beginning in the book of Psalms. We did an introduction a couple of weeks ago. I am titling this series, Awakening the Heart. And really, it's all about us moving into a personal, intimate, and as Val alluded to during the worship time, uh, honest relationship with God. Sometimes when we come into church, sometimes as Christians, we have that notion that we are supposed to always rise above the fray, never question anything, never be confused or uncertain. But that is certainly not what you would get from the Psalms. As you read through the Psalms, you have all kinds of expression of honest emotion. Let there be jubilant praise. Psalm 66 talks about praise that overflows to God. And yet there are also those times where the psalmist cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, Lord? Why are you allowing our enemies to defeat us? And every emotion and experience within those two extremes, it's captured in the book of Psalms. See, God wants us to walk with him. And he is not surprised by the fact that occasionally we run into brick walls. Occasionally, we don't have all of the answers. Every once in a while, even though we are opening up this book and searching the scriptures, we remain confused about where God is and why he is allowing us to go through what we are going through. And I'm sure Candy has asked that very question. Why, Lord? I've walked with you these many years. Why now? Why ALS? That's an okay thing. It's okay. And we want to awaken our hearts. We want to energize our walk with God with true honesty based out of the revelation of the Scriptures, who God says He is. And what God will do for us as we enter into that relationship. Psalm 1 is a wonderful psalm. It sort of sets the stage, as you might expect, for the 149 psalms that will follow. Psalm 1 talks about two different paths. The path of the righteous and the path of the wicked. And he talks about the blessed life or Literally, the happy or fulfilled or peaceful life. And how one attains that kind of life. And the outcome of a life lived for God versus the outcome of a life that has ignored God. Or as the psalmist says in Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now sometimes we can think that we are on the right path. The Proverbs say there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. So sometimes we can, as human beings, be on a path that we think is right, that it makes sense. We are assured that it's going to lead us to the destination that we hope for. Several years back, Christy and I, had just bought our full first pull trailer. And we were going up to Burley, Idaho to watch our daughter who was participating in 
the Continental's traveling mission group. She was singing in Burley, Idaho. So we were driving up there, and we were pulling a trailer behind us. And this was in the very early days of computer maps. And I had gone on to a thing called MapQuest and printed out directions for how to get to a campground that we were supposed to go to. And it was all out on the sheet, every direction. We were just so amazed that the directions could be that precise. So we're following the directions, driving down the road, making a turn here, a turn there. And then we start to go up this hill, actually probably more of a mountain. And there's a bunch of switchbacks. So it's like, okay, we're going to be up in the mountain because we had never been to this place before. And so as we go up a few switchbacks, the switchbacks are getting tighter and tighter. And at some point, I said to Christy, I'm not really sure if this is the right way. And we went back, looked at the directions. Yeah, we turned there. Yeah, that's where we were supposed to go. Okay, let's go a little farther and let's see. So we continued up a few more switchbacks till finally I said to her, if we make this switchback, I'm not sure we'll ever get back. And so we went forward and back, I don't know, half a dozen, maybe a dozen times so that I could get turned around on the road went back, resituated, and determined that, in fact, our directions were way off the mark for where we wanted to go. Ultimately, we did find the trailer park that we were going to camp at that night. Point being, all along, we were following the directions. We thought we were on the right path until there came a point of crisis, a moment of decision where we had to say, is this really the right way? The disciples had that same issue. In John chapter 14, Philip asked Jesus, he said, Lord, show us the Father, and it'll be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Philip, have I been so long with you that you don't even know now? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then Philip responded by asking Jesus, well, show us the way, Lord. Show us the way. And Jesus responded very simply, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if we are not on the path that Jesus has blazed before us, we ultimately will end up trapped in a switchback somewhere in the Wasatch Mountains. And that's really what the psalmist is speaking of here, the pathway of the person who is following Jesus. Now, of course, we don't find the name Jesus in Psalm 1, but it really is, and I will show you, really is referring to the person who is following after Christ. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. So the psalmist begins by saying, Blessed is the one. And then he says what that blessed person does not do. He doesn't start out by saying what the blessed person is supposed to do, but what they are not supposed to do. And pay attention here. He says the person who is blessed or lives the blessed life does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take 
or sit in the company of mockers. Notice the progression there. A decision first has been made to begin to walk in step with or in tandem with the wicked. So they are in movement at this point, but they are in movement with those who are walking a different path away from the path of life. But then that motion stops and they begin to stand or take a position among the sinners. The sinners are coming and going and this person has taken position in that pathway. And then finally, they sit or take their ease in the company of those who mock. Now, this describes for us the path of the backslidden Christian. I'm going to read for you out of Luke chapter 22, and we'll see an illustration from the life of Peter of what the psalmist is talking about. Peter had been with Jesus for three and a half years, and not only had he followed after Jesus, but he was one of the twelve. Indeed, Peter was one of the inner circle of three that Jesus would call aside to himself when he had specific lessons to teach, Peter, James, and John. And Peter, of course, we all know, was the spokesman of the apostles, the one who was the most verbal. And we often see him interacting with Jesus. So three and a half years, Jesus' inner circle And Jesus is telling his disciples, you're all going to fall away this evening because of me. This is in the upper room. And Peter said, no, Lord, the others, they may fall away, but not me. Not me. I'm not going to fall away. I will go with you even unto the death. So Peter was very assured of himself in spite of the warning Jesus had given to him. But look what happens to Peter. Then seizing him, that is seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. What was the first step? Walking in step with the wicked. So here Peter follows them or begins to walk with those who have taken Jesus captive. And then when some had kindled a fire in the middle of the court, Peter stood there, and then they sat down together, and Peter sat down with them. So Peter first walked with them, then he stood with them, and then finally here, he sat down with them. Again, following the same progression that the psalmist warned of, walking in step with the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers. And then look what happens. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. And then about an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, I do not know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, the Lord turned, looked straight at Peter, 
And Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. Peter went outside and wept bitterly. See, there's a danger when you begin to walk in step with the wicked. And you stand in the way of sinners and sit in the seat of scoffers. Ultimately, you are not going to be able to maintain your witness when you do that. Now, a lot of times people convince themselves that by doing exactly that, walking in step with the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, that they are being light and darkness, that they are being testimony. But the fact is that when you get in the pig pen, you are going to get muddy. Listen to what Peter says about the person who begins to walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, and sit in the seat of scoffers. He says, For those who have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but then become once again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs is true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to wallowing in the mud. So the blessed one does not put themselves in a position to be negatively drawn away from their relationship with God. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So you become who you become like who you hang out with. Bad company corrupts good morals. Paul wrote to the Colossians. He said, be sure that you do not allow anyone to take you captive through the deceptive philosophies of this world system. In other words, don't put yourself in a position to be influenced and drawn away from the simple, pure faith that is in Christ. And even in the church, Paul warns that we have to be discerning. Paul said to the Corinthians, I warned you not to associate with any sexually immoral person. But when I said that to you, I was telling you to not associate with any sexually immoral person in the church. So even in the church, if there is someone who is sexually immoral, Paul says you have to separate from that. We cannot be unequally yoked, Paul told the Corinthians, with the world. And this is the difference. We are to be friends to the world. In fact, the church is the best friend that anyone in the world has. When we are truly shining the light of Jesus Christ, when we are truly sharing the gospel of His love. But take care. Be cautious. Don't begin to walk in step with the world. We cannot become entangled with it. Or else, like Peter, we will ultimately end up falling away. None of us are that strong. 
So the blessed one, the person who is living the blessed life, does not put themselves in that aligned position with the wicked or with the sinners or with the mockers. That is something that they take care not to do. We, again, are in the world, but we are not of the world. We do not allow the world's cloak to warm us. So what do we do as Christians? What are we to do in order to walk the path of righteousness, to be light in darkness, to truly live the blessed life? Well, beginning in verse 2, the psalmist writes, the blessed one's delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night. And interestingly, the word there translated meditate literally means to talk to yourself. So literally, is blessed is the one who talks to himself about the law, day or night. So, blessing comes first from developing, establishing a love of God's word, a delight in God's word, a pleasure that comes from spending time in this book, recognizing that it's not only this book that we are spending time with, but the author of this book that truly is speaking to us through the words on these pages. Again, I like Val loved what Nancy shared with us in the call to worship about the importance of focus upon the Word of God. Not all of the various other things that sometimes distract us, but rather, what is the Word saying to us? What is the truth that is coming out of these pages? What is God's Holy Spirit saying to us? And not just spending time in here, but delighting in it, finding great pleasure in opening up the pages of this book, finding nuggets of truth. Have you ever experienced this where you are going through daily devotions and it just so happens that the the day's reading where you are at speaks to you about something that is going on in your life and sometimes it's as though God were sitting right next to you and speaking audibly to you. I've had that experience on numerous occasions. We are to delight in the law of the Lord. We are to meditate day and night in that. That is the same counsel that the Lord gave to Joshua as Joshua was getting ready to enter into the land. He said, Joshua, if you want to be successful as you are beginning this endeavor of bringing the people into the land that I have promised them, you must do this one thing. You must meditate in the law, day and night. Do not let it depart from your lips. That is the pathway to success, spiritually speaking. So we delight in the law of the Lord. We recognize that God speaks to us through his word. We meditate upon the law day and night. We put ourselves in positions where God's word can communicate to us. We ought to, I'm just going to challenge you this morning in this, we ought to be in personal Bible study on a regular basis, each one of us, whether it's through daily devotions, through a book we're reading, something that is informing our lives about what God's Word has to say to us, that we are growing in the Word of God. 
and the knowledge of what this book has to say. That should be happening for all of us individually. We also, all of us, be in small group settings, as we talked about last Sunday, where you can spend time with three to five to ten other believers of like precious faith, where you can grow together. You can pray for one another. You can go through the word together and let God speak to you through his people. That is absolutely an essential aspect of our personal growth. And believe it or not, you might have something to share with someone else that could be of value and of benefit to them. You are essential in God's work here on the earth. And then, of course, we must gather together as the church has always done for the past 2,000 years on the first day of the week. Gather together as the church to worship God and to hear the proclamation of the Word of God. Meditate in this law day and night. That is the blessed life. Look what happens when you do this, when you delight in the law of the Lord and you meditate upon the law day and night. It says in verse 3 that the person is like a tree planted by the streams of water. So first, you become planted. Interesting. Matthew 15, 13. Jesus said, Every tree that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. So using that imagery here in verse 3, you are planted by the Father. God the Father plants you through his word into the solid ground of faith. And not only does he plant you, but he plants you by streams of water. This, is, of course, is speaking of the Holy Spirit that will fill you as a Christian, as a believer. In John chapter 7, Jesus, on the great day of the Feast of Tabernacles, went into the center of the temple grounds, and he made this proclamation. He who believes in me, out of his innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. Because on the great day of the Feast of Tabernacles, what the Jews would do would be they'd walk up the steps to the temple and then they would pour out water. Symbolic of the fact that God provided for the Jews in the wilderness through the rock, that water poured out of the rock. Well, Jesus, in the midst of all of these gathered worshipers, proclaimed that he was the rock. And he said, if you believe in me, out of your innermost being will flow rivers, just like the psalmist right here, writes here, streams. He says rivers of living water, not just a river, but a multitude of rivers. A tree planted by streams of water, not just one stream, but streams flowing from multiple directions into your life. So whatever you're going through, whether you're on top of the world, joyful, glad, or whether you are going through the dark depths of depression, streams of living water flow right by you and indeed out of you by the Holy Spirit when you delight in the law of the Lord and meditate upon his law day or night. And because of that planting by the streams of the little living water, you will yield fruit 
in its season. So, Jesus expected his disciples to be fruitful. Each one of our lives ought to, in some fashion, in some respect, produce fruit. If the Holy Spirit is a river or rivers of living water flowing out of us, Jesus said to his disciples, I have appointed you that you might go forth and produce much fruit because of the Holy Spirit that is flowing out of you. So ask yourself, am I delighting in the law of the Lord? Do I spend time meditating or speaking to myself about the law of the Lord day and night? If so, has God indeed planted me in the solid rock of faith? Are streams of living water flowing by me and out of me? If so, I should be producing fruit in my life. Now, fruit can take on a variety of different forms. If you think of the Holy Spirit, you might go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, where it speaks of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, perseverance, long-suffering. All of those fruits, are those characteristic of your life? Are they fruit that others can pick from the tree of your life? There's other kinds of fruit as well. The fruit of lives impacted by your sharing of the gospel, by the testimony of the life that you live. Is it reflective of Jesus Christ? Are people pointed to him through you? There's so many different ways in which fruit is produced. You know, when we go through seasons of grief, of loss, of discouragement, of depression, there those are seasons, too, where we can produce fruit, where we can maintain a faithfulness in God, a belief that God is with us even in those dark hours. Because look what happens next. It says, their leaf will not wither. Whatever they do will prosper. Now, this does not necessarily mean prosper in the sense that perhaps a person from a worldly perspective might think of it. When we think of people prospering, what, what's the first thing we tend to think of? Yeah, finances. People who are well, wealthy. Wow, they're really prospering. You know, I, I spent some time doing some examination of uh, a group of wealthy people. It was actually in, in a book that I had read. And it talked about the miserable personal lives that these wealthy people led. The more money they had, the more worries consumed them. The more their lives were constrained, literally, by their wealth. I don't call that prosperity. That's not the prosperity that the psalmist is speaking of. The psalmist is talking about a prosperity that expands the kingdom, that illuminates the gospel, that allows the Holy Spirit in His power to be brought to bear on every circumstance, good or bad. The leaf does not wither. Isaiah writes about this in Isaiah 58. 
He says, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs even in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. He will make you like a well-watered garden, a spring whose waters never fail. So this is the blessed life, the person who delights in the Word of God, who meditates thereupon all of the time. They are like a tree the Father has planted by streams of living water, the Holy Spirit flowing out of them in abundance, yielding fruit in every season of life, never withering, expanding the work of God, the knowledge of God, wherever they go. God prospers them. Not so the wicked. In fact, in, in the Hebrew there, it's very emphatic. It's, it's, it's not just not so, it's never. It could never be this way for the wicked. The psalmist says, the wicked will never understand or experience the kind of prosperity, the kind of existence that the blessed life brings because they have not been planted by the streams of living water. They are not going to know that fruit in season or the leaf that does not wither. They, rather, are like chaff. Chaff is the refuse from the harvest. That which, after the harvest is uh, brought in, remains and is useless, not good for anything. John the Baptist says that Jesus is going to take the chaff and he's going to burn it with unquenchable fire. And that is definitely the attitude that the psalmist has here as well. He says the chaff will be like Meaningless things that the wind blows away. The wicked cannot stand in the judgment. And of course, this is talking about the ultimate judgment where everyone will stand before God and give an account of themselves to God. And he says the wicked cannot stand. In other words, they will not have a leg to stand on. They will not have a defense to make before God for their wicked life, for their choice to separate themselves from a life lived for God, emanating from His Word, they will have no defense in the judgment. Imagine, just stop and use the imagination God has given you and think about that moment. The Bible describes it as a great white throne. And God the Father sitting upon the great white throne and all the people who had rejected his son, great and small, wealthy and impoverished, all of those people being brought before him to give an account of their lives. And books are opened, it says in Revelation chapter 20. And these books detail in every respect the lives lived by all of those who are standing before the great white throne not only the outward motions of their lives, but the inward motivations of their lives. Imagine being that person standing before an eternal God who is a consuming fire. And God is revealing all of this truth about your life separated from him. 
perfect defense could you possibly give? See, this is the wicked. And, and if you are a person here this morning or a person who is hearing my voice here this morning and you are on that other pathway, you are on a pathway that seems right to you, but the end thereof is death, stop and realize, understand that unless you turn your life over to Christ, you won't imagine that moment before a great white throne you will experience it. You will be like the chaff blown away by the wind. You will be burned up with unquenchable fire. You will not be able to stand in the judgment. In fact, it says here, no sinners will stand in the assembly of the righteous. And I want to read this because it's out of the very last chapter of the Bible in the book of Revelation, but it's an important one. It says the wicked will not stand in the assembly of the righteous. Look what it says here. In verse 14 of Revelation chapter 22, blessed, again, as the psalmist has said, blessed or happy or fulfilled or at peace are those who have washed their robes. They have the right to the tree of life. And they may go through the gates into the city at any time. However, outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who has loved and practiced falsehood, they will not be able to enter. They will go into the lake of fire. So there's two paths you can go by. And to quote Led Zeppelin, there's still time to change the road you're on. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates upon that law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by the streams of water, yielding its fruit in season, whose leaf does not prosper or wither, and whatever they do prospers. The Lord knows or watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. That's a beautiful, beautiful first phrase there in verse 6. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous. The, the word there is the same word that you will read about when you're going through all of the genealogies in the Bible, and it says, and Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived. There's that type of intimate knowledge that God is speaking of, that he knows, that he watches over the righteous. One of my favorite passages in the psalm is in in Psalm 32 because it talks about this intimate relationship that God desires to have with us. It's in verse 8 of Psalm 32. God speaking, he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go that path of life. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. And in some translations, it's translated, I will guide you with my eye. Now, some, t- some of you who have been married for a while will understand this. Have you ever been in a room filled with people and your spouse is across the room from you? 
No way that you can speak. And yet, you look across the room into their eyes and you communicate. There's a knowledge. There's an intimacy. There's an awareness that just the look into each other's eye speaks. And you know what they are saying. That's what he's talking about here. The Lord wants to have that kind of intimate relationship with us where when he looks at us and we look at him through the lens of his word, we see so clearly, so intimately that no word needs to be spoken. We understand and he is guiding us. Don't be like the horse or the mule which has no understanding but must be controlled by bit or bridle The Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. So the blessed life is the life that begins with hearing of the word of God. That's how faith comes. Faith comes to us by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as we delight ourselves in that word, as we meditate upon that word, God will do a work in your life. Whatever the season may be that you're going through, he will plant you by rivers or streams of living water and make you fruitful, prosperous for his kingdom, a vessel of honor and an instrument of righteousness. And ultimately, ultimately, you rather than having to answer to an angry God sitting upon a great white throne, you will stand before Christ on his Bema seat and you will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I have many wonderful things to give unto you. That is the blessed life that we aspire to live. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the many, many blessings we have. Manifold blessings that really, Lord, we cannot even begin to count. As Ron was sharing with us, Lord, even in those difficult moments where things are absolutely stripped away from us, seemingly, we can, as your children, come together and express love 